Hello, Catherine here. If you're listening to my podcast because you're a fan of wintering, the good news is that my new book, Enchantment, is available now. It's a book about how we can find a way to reconnect with a world that's sometimes hard to live in and even to find magic there. It's available in all good bookshops and please support your local indie if you can. For more information, you can go to katherine-may.com forward slash enchantment. Happy reading. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. about a time in their life when they've wintered, fallen through the cracks of life, feeling isolated, rejected, forced into the role of an outsider or humiliated. Today I'm excited to welcome Leah Hazard, best-selling author of Hard Pushed, A Midwife's Story and Practicing NHS Midwife. It's really great to speak to you, Leah. Oh, it's great to speak to you too. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm really delighted to. We've been chatting for a very long time, haven't we? And it's really nice mm. to hear your voice. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I was just, we were just discussing that Leah's accent is Scottish Connecticut, which is quite a, a fascinating mix there. Yeah, it's a bit niche. It's quite unusual. Yeah. yeah it's, good. <laughs> it's good to have your own thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yes. So I came across you, Leah, when I read um, your book, Hard Pushed, mm -hmm. um, which interestingly, I read just after I'd read Adam Kay's This Is Going To Hurt. Oh, OK. Um, yeah, it was quite an interesting contrast because I'd mm -hmm. read This Is Going To Hurt in the week that my husband was in hospital with a ruptured appendix. Mm. Um, and I'd actually found it immensely comforting because I felt mm -hmm. as I was kind of I was listening to it on audiobook driving to and from the hospital and I felt like it put me in contact with the people who were behind the scenes who, like, if I'm honest, I was completely frustrated with at the time, you know, the, yeah. the kind of nurses and doctors who didn't seem to be making him much better. And, you mm. know, he, he was suffering a lot. And I, I would have been much more angry had I not 
been able to listen to that. Oh, that's good. But in the weeks that followed, a kind of another tide washed over me. And that mm. was my, my feminist consciousness re-emerging because yeah. I actually had quite a hard time when I was pregnant and giving birth. And I felt like women's voices were absent from that book mm-hmm. uh, in a way that I don't expect you to reply to because I know you're... <laughs> but yeah. when I yeah. read your book, I kind of punched the air because it was still such great storytelling so warm and funny and moving but also you are a kick-ass advocate for women in the maternity ward is that fair to say (laughs) thank you I mean I wouldn't be the best person to answer that but I hope so I think that's the job of every midwife really um and certainly people have asked me about that book and I have read it um (laughs) and I maybe that's where I should leave it no I mean I can understand why um some people have really enjoyed it and why it's been a huge success and I can also understand why some people have been upset by it Mm. um and have felt that maybe another voice was needed so I'm pleased if I can provide uh that voice or another voice and yeah I think it's really important in anything I write to demonstrate respect for women and that doesn't mean that we have to be worthy all the time and very sort of virtue signaling and all the rest but um (laughs) you know we can have a laugh but we have to be respectful and mindful of who's at the center of that story and it's women so yeah I hope that's come through yeah I I think it really does come through and I I think that from the other side people are fascinated by midwives because Mm -hmm. you are present at one of the most dramatic and yet entirely normal moments of human life um but when I say normal it's different for everybody every time and I I think that there's this sense that you guys kind of look into a space that most of us don't really understand even if we've been in it (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's completely true and it strikes me all the time um and it should strike me all the time you know when I'm with a woman who's laboring or who's having issues in pregnancy for whatever reason I I kind of have to stop myself sometimes and think like what they let me do this like this (laughs) this is really intimate and visceral and special and risky um and I I don't just mean physically risky I Mm. mean um, emotionally risky um and yeah it's it's a huge privilege to to be in that role so I'm very grateful for that yeah and it's it's hard it would be hard not to mention at the moment that we are still in the middle of lockdown I suspect we will be in some kind of lockdown or some kind of pandemic alertness when this podcast goes out unless something changes very dramatically yeah um and I I think it would be remiss of me not to ask you about how you're finding it at the moment is it is it becoming business as normal or does everything still feel very strange? Uh, it, it, yes and no. At the beginning, so by which I mean sort of middle of March to end of March, we were anticipating this huge tsunami of sick women because we were looking at what was happening mm. in the rest of Europe and even starting to happen down in London. And we thought, right, OK, um, I'm I'm up in Glasgow and we thought, OK, th- this is coming and this is going to be horrific. And every day in the hospital, things were changing in terms of there was talk of reorganising wards and um, new pathways and protocols. And there were it did become very quiet for a couple of weeks um, in the triage department where I work because the only women coming in were women who really needed to come in. There wasn't so much of the kind of worried well and all the other, right. you know, probably a 
good part of our business is is people who actually are completely fine um <laughs> and then uh yes we have had some sick women not as many as we feared but some but on the whole no the the workload the sort of quality and quantity of what we're seeing now is right up to where it was so right. <laughs> very very busy so my last shift was friday night and it was just myself and another midwife in the ward as it always is um, at night in triage and I think we had eight or nine women in labor and maybe another five or six women with different things um that they were coming in with so plenty yeah it's busy plenty yeah to be, to be doing with um yes well that's actually a really great point to talk about how you became a midwife because you weren't always were you 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 had a whole career before this yeah, I had a sort of mini career, the beginnings <laughs> of a career. Um, I worked in telly, which was as surprising to me as it was to anybody else. Um, so I was a researcher for sort of arts and factual programming and documentaries um, at BBC Scotland. And I worked for an independent company for a while as well. And when I had my first daughter, who's she's now um, 17, I took some time off and then I came back part time and I could see very quickly that I would hit the glass ceiling very fast and that the only women who seemed to succeed in telly at that time were women who um, either didn't have children or had clearly made a conscious decision not to spend very much time at home and um, really to be at work at all hours and really available all the time um and that wasn't really for me and at the same time I'd had this huge life-changing experience of um being pregnant and giving birth and it kind of blew my world apart in a way nothing about it was anything I had prepared for or anticipated um and I think any any woman who becomes a mother will say that that kind of draws your priorities into quite sharp relief and changes how you feel about things yeah. but for me it was it was really I don't want to say like an identity crisis but it it was an identity challenge for sure um so talk and me through I, that time I mean so you're yeah. I guess media jobs are full of people who are ambitious and have always wanted to be in them you know and, yeah. and therefore are often willing to make whatever sacrifices it takes Mm-hmm. And so you're back in that world with a, a tiny baby and kind of, you know, thinking, how on earth do I confront this? What do, what, what do I do? Yeah, well, I think a big part of it for me was that the the birth to begin with didn't go the way I had expected or was told it would happen. <laughs> um, silly me. So I had, um, I had long labour and then I had an emergency section and that was obviously really difficult in terms of recovery and breastfeeding didn't work and I wasn't loving every minute of my life as I kind of thought <laughs> maybe I would. Um, loved my baby obviously and, and you know wouldn't change that for the world but um it just felt a bit kind of exploded um my time wasn't my own my body was completely different Mm. and at the same time as the sort of weeks and months went on I was meeting other women who had had babies you know whether we'd been in sort of antenatal classes together or or met them through other groups and things and everybody that I met seemed to have had an awful time and I just thought (laughs) why why is it like this we we were not sold this experience this this is not what we were told about 
So I really started to think, oh, you know, surely there's some way this can change. Can I change it? Is there some way that this can be made better? Um, And I did actually at that time start to think about retraining, but I had just gone through four years of um, university in America and a year of master's degree studies um, in Mm. the UK. And the thought of going back to sit in a classroom being told what to do was just not, it just was not on. (laughs) It just was not, that was not the time in my life to be doing that. So um, I did go back to work and then I realized, no, this this was not for me. So I um, did think about midwifery, but I then found out about doulas, who for anyone listening who doesn't know what a doula is, it's just like a birth partner, really. Um, and I thought, yeah, that that's something I could do and I can work it around my family. How so, interesting. Yeah, so um, it's just a lay birth partner. It's like a cheerleader for pregnant and birthing people. Mm. Um, it's just emotional and practical support. It's completely non-clinical. Um, it's a very old role, although we're calling it something different now. And yeah, so I, I did some training around that and I was a doula for six years Um supporting women in home births and hospital births and doing some postnatal support as well wow. so, so that yeah that so was it's like a halfway the... house almost to becoming a midwife it's, it's probably quite a yeah. good um, good early preparation I suppose you get used to being in that space it it was yeah you get used to being in that space you have that fundamental respect for women and commitment to advocating for women without any of the clinical responsibility um which sometimes <laughs> I look at and think hmm, <laughs> that was nice but ultimately with that I did get to the point where I thought no I want the whole package I want to be able to provide the whole you know all the care um and uh, I had another child and uh so I decided yeah that maybe now is the time to go back to school so that's wow. what I did yeah so how old were your children when you retrained because that must have been really tricky yeah, it was pretty horrendous at the start, to be honest. Um, <laughs> this is a crazy thing to do. Um, I get emails all the time and messages and things from women saying, oh, I've got two young children. Should I go back and, you know, retrain? And I'm like, mm, yeah, that sounds great. So it was 10 years ago this year that I started training. So my kids would have been um, seven and three. Wow. And... I'm not going to lie, that was hard. That was really challenging because they just knew me as somebody who was around most of the time. Mm. Um, I was on call for births from time to time, but mostly that was like when they were sleeping or, you know, times when I could um, sort of melt away without too much disruption. Um, so, yeah, it was a huge adjustment for all of us, but we we got there in the end. Wow. And, and so... I, I think, I mean, I, I guess it's the kind of job I'd be too scared to do because I am terrified of, I don't know, doing the wrong thing, um, which is why I hide behind a desk and write. Um, and I still yeah. get terrified even then. But mm, I'm pretty scared of that too, though, to be fair. Yeah, well, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. obviously, I think probably having a healthy yeah. respect for that is, is good. Um, but I imagine that those first years when you're a, a trained midwife and you're practicing on your own as being quite tense, actually, is that just me projecting that idea onto no, it? Or is that how it no, goes? not at all. Absolutely terrifying. I think when you're a student, um, and most midwifery degrees are, are three years, you sort of do develop some confidence, of course, and you need to over the three years. And then the fear becomes real just when you're about to qualify and you think, oh, 
you know, like I'm about to be thrown out of the nest and now it's Mm -hmm. me. And then you do one day you're just chucked in a room with a woman, as simple as that. And it's like, right, okay, you you do it. Off you go. Um, I can't imagine the fear. I, um, I trained, I didn't train as a teacher. I did the on the job learning route, the uh, graduate training program to become a secondary teacher. And uh, so there was I, I think I was 24. And what happens when you do that is the first day you go into a classroom and you teach and you've had no training or experience whatsoever. And I can remember that moment of standing in the staff room and my legs not wanting to walk (laughs) me to my first class. Yeah, I can imagine. I was so scared and I because I, I taught sixth form, um, I was so conscious of how old they were and how close to my age they were. Yeah. And they knew that. And mm-hmm. they were ever so nice to me. But after a week, they said, we knew you were new because <laughs> when you wrote your name on the board, it was enormous. <laughs> uh, <laughs> rookie mistake, Catherine. Yeah, it's obviously yeah. Really, really obvious. But yeah, I so I can only imagine what it must be like to some, you know, for something that's much more life and death than teaching yeah. some A-level student psychology. It's scary and I think also it just depends what the working culture is like around you and yeah I mean all hospitals and birth centres and things are different but the place where I work does have an element of sort of macho although it's all women sort of tough talk Mm. Um, it's quite intimidating or at least it can be to a newly qualified midwife Um, and your face has to fit and your behavior has to toe a certain line. Uh, and it really is like living on another planet. As soon as you go through that sort of airlock of the hospital doors, you're yeah. in the zone, you're in another place. Um, and I, I still, you know, I'm seven years qualified this year. I still kind of think, mm, will I fit in at some point? You know, I know I can do the job and I have a great team that I work with and, and we all support each other. But that's I think as as scary as the actual clinical side of it yeah yeah I can only imagine I mean I I think the thing that you most want when you're the person giving birth is to look at your midwife and to see certainty and confidence Mm. because I mean you know I suppose it must be different for women who have multiple children but I've only done it once and I just wanted someone to tell me what to do because I had no Mm -hmm. clue and I had deliberately avoided the books because I uh, thought I just didn't think Mm -hmm. they'd help and I still I'm not sure Mm -hmm. that was the wrong decision actually yeah well they didn't do me any favors so (laughs) you probably did the right thing um but yeah I I think women yeah it's interesting every woman has a different way of responding to that challenge so some women do want that really kind of firm hand and you know tell me what to do what would you do what should I do now Mm. some women don't want to communicate at all and that's completely fine oh for sure Uh uh-huh um and and for some you you just sort of feel your way through it together and you really have to develop a knack for um, sussing out very quickly what that woman's needs are and sometimes you do it and sometimes you can't and and that's okay you can only try your best do you get sworn at a lot ah uh, sometimes <laughs> very seldom it's, it's usually the guys that are on the sharp end of the this wearing um but but now I have to say at the minute, and I think this is the case for most units around the UK, men aren't actually allowed in our department. Right, yeah. Um, and 
I'm not really going to go into whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, um, <laughs> but it's much calmer and there's much less swearing, I will say. That's interesting. So, I think there's going to be so many reckonings and I, I think we're going to be fascinated by it for years to come, actually, and I think it will change us, but none of us know how yet. It's still yeah. mm-hmm. all floating up in the air. I'm endlessly reading about all these different experiences and, and you know, just hearing things from friends terrible things amazing things it's Mm -hmm. such a huge moment in human history um yeah yeah i think sorry no go ahead i was just gonna say i think it's really interesting just to connect it back to your book that um you know a lot of people are looking at their experience just now and and thinking kind of like am I am I wintering am I enduring this really horrible thing Mm. And, and of course some people are much more than you you or I um but some people are also asking themselves do I kind of like it (laughs) am am I am I kind of enjoying parts of this or maybe learning things about myself so if you have the privilege of perspective to be able to ask those questions um yeah it's 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 pretty interesting it's this moment of pause I think where I always talk about um that i don't know if everyone will relate to this piece but the piece of art by cornelia parker the exploded shed mm-hmm. um and i remember going to see that when it was in the turner prize i don't know probably 20 years ago or more now and you walk into a room and you feel like time has stopped because there's just this uh a shed that literally she had someone explode that she mm-hmm. suspended all the pieces of it hanging in the air around you and it's for me it was an uncanny moment where I literally felt like I'd walked into stopped time Mm. and I I think for me that I keep coming back to that as a metaphor for moments like this and those wintering moments as well which is that time has paused for a while nothing's happening and Mm. in that space our fears can completely overwhelm us and they so often do but also we can reflect and think about changes we want to make it's a it's a sort of very revolutionary moment with both mm-hmm. good and bad coming in and I I think that's that's where loads of stuff's happening at the moment yeah yeah and I think as um women and as mothers so often I'm sure you know you you probably like me have had times in your life where you thought oh god I wish this would just stop like there's just too <laughs> yeah. much to do yeah. and we have to do homework and cook dinners and go to music lessons and you know, manage our own stuff and get our own things done and try and make some money. And I wish it would just stop. And now it's like, hmm, okay, yeah. it's all stopped. Um, you know, what what can we make of this? Uh, Let's and... watch some more Teen Titans go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, so, you know, some of the stuff we've been doing is just kind of getting by day to day. And um, I think for the first month apart from going to work as a midwife on my days off I just allowed myself to just vegetate and Mm. just had no expectations of myself or my family or you know trying to be productive really I just let go um and actually like pressures off in a lot of ways I think and that's yeah that's really unusual for me you know I, I normally feel very like I'm supposed to be getting out there and doing this and that and there's nothing to do there is absolutely nothing that can be done and Mm -hmm. that's it's it I was about to say it's luxurious but it's not even that it just is it's just Mm -hmm. a time when we are 
acting, you know, <laughs> making it up yeah. as we go along. And there's yeah. something about the quality of that that I'm quite liking, if that's mm-hmm. a terrible thing to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I feel so conflicted because obviously this is a crisis that we wouldn't wish on ourselves or anyone in any way and having you know having looked after women who are ill um, and seeing the disruption of the world in general I I wish it wasn't happening Mm. but at the same time um I kind of really like that all I need to do in a day is maybe you know I can get up early and do some writing if I'm up to it if I'm not fine um I can spend lots of time making nice food I can eat lots of nice food Um, I don't have to run my kids around a million and one classes and then the days when I'm at work I go to work I help women I come home um it's simpler yeah kind Mm. of liking that and yesterday we went out and about um in the sort of area where we live and the lockdown here has eased slightly although not as much as where you are and um, <laughs> it's really it yeah truly not quite. has eased here yeah yeah Inestable. well what was weird for me yesterday was there weren't sort of hordes of people but there were lots of people out walking about and sort of queuing for coffees and things mm. and lying out in the park and it can make me a little bit uncomfortable yeah, yeah. um and i kind of wanted to go back to how it was and i know that's awful because that's not you know the reason for why it was the way it was is yeah, not a good it's, one it's terrible but no i know exactly what um, yeah. but i think that's why i've kind of stayed in the house all day today <laughs> yeah i i yeah. actually I, I i remember at the beginning of it i thought i you know i felt really restricted and i thought what am i going to do without being able to go out at weekends and do this and that and now i think well what did we used to do at weekends i can't imagine what we were so busy with i I think I've quite happily jettisoned a lot of rushing around that I won't go back to now. And I'm, I'm very glad yeah. to do it. Mm. So back to you. Sorry, we've, every, it's hard to have a conversation at the moment without going into pandemic talk. Is there? Oh, completely, <laughs> completely there. We, we've done it. We've, we've I, I hope nailed it now. I this will sound quaint in a year's time and everyone will be out raving again. I don't know. I, <laughs> I won't be, yeah. but then I never was in the first place. That's fine. Um, so... One of the things that comes across really strongly in your book is your engagement with the different women that you come across and meet and their their different stories and lives and hardships. Mm-hmm. How difficult is it for you to leave that behind when you come home? Does it does it prey on your mind or are you able to have that separation? Yeah, it it can be quite difficult. Um I mean, you were saying you have the fear of doing things wrong. And I think Mm. that's the fear that follows every midwife or every healthcare practitioner when they've left the hospital. You know, there's always the nagging feeling of, oh, did I sign for that drug that I gave? Or did I, you know, maybe I sent her to labor ward at the wrong time? Or was Mm. that examination actually right? Or maybe she was only two centimeters and I thought she was eight centimeters and I've done it all wrong and I'm a horrible (laughs) midwife. And, you know, everybody, I think, feels that way on their days off um and some but some women's stories obviously affect me on a deeper level and and some of those are the ones that I wrote about mm. um I think there's this saying that every doctor has their own personal graveyard in their head because it's the the patients they couldn't save right. um and I think that midwives carry a similar thing uh, not a graveyard thankfully um mm-hmm. but a, but a little collection of women who 
have really touched them and made them question things and maybe we've connected with them or maybe they've really challenged us in some way and I definitely have that and I I definitely think of those women often I think that's normal yeah that's healthy I think that's human actually I think that that's not a a negative thing necessarily I I think if your work didn't leave a mark on you it wouldn't it wouldn't seem right somehow yeah the trick is just not letting it overwhelm you I guess and there certainly have been times on days off when all I can think about is something that's happened during my last shift um and it really really niggles me but uh that is just part of being an adult in the world I guess we you know we all have (laughs) things you know we all have to encounter other people in our work generally um or you know just in our daily lives and we all have upsets yeah it is yeah (laughs) so maybe I mean I don't know maybe for me it's fair to say at times the stakes are maybe a little bit higher but still you know we all we all go through that in our own way and the trick is just not to let it rankle and to to try and work it out somehow so I'm still learning about that but there was a point that you wrote about where the stress began to really get to you I think yeah I mean as I sort of went through the first few years of my career I I work in a really busy hospital we have about six and a half thousand births a year um that's an incredible and, number, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of babies. That's a lot of days, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of day. And um, we don't always have the staffing levels that mm. I would like. I think it's okay to say that. Um, and you, as a working midwife, quite often your own needs come way down the pecking order in terms of what has to get done that day and, yeah. you know, what can get done. And... Uh, most of my career I've worked in this triage department which is very busy and fast-paced it's like I describe it as like A&E for pregnant people so it's always changing it's always acute which is part of what makes it interesting and and exciting but also sometimes what makes it um, impossible yeah and so yeah I wrote about um, that sort of gradual feeling of pressure building and I wrote about one particular night when there's a really busy shift and the the women just kept coming and coming and coming and the hospital was full and and there were discussions about closing the hospital and you know to to new patients Mm. and and that wasn't done for one reason and another and just became untenable and I um had what I now know you can see was you know a panic attack which probably sounds pretty boring and run-of-the-mill to most people but um they're never boring and run-of-the-mill when you're having them though no they're not and it was the first time at work that I just felt completely paralyzed and and that is deeply shameful for somebody who goes to work so she can help people and put herself last and always be competent and always be effective and efficient and safe Mm. um and I couldn't and you know, there have been times before and since that night when I've been able to kind of pull myself back from that edge and kind of pull it together and just right. keep going. But I just couldn't that night and I had to leave. But that's um, the problem with feelings when you're pushing them down. They just at some point yeah. will all come flooding up when you don't want yeah. them to. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I'd probably been doing that for a while on other occasions as well. And that's why on that night um, I was not in control and, mm. and, I, and I had to go home. Um and and yeah I mean the only word that keeps coming into my mind when I think about that is is shame and I'm still which is ridiculous rationally because I know you know 
I shouldn't be ashamed and I shouldn't be embarrassed and that's just normal and I, I do all kinds of this other sort of advocacy around mental health to mm. tell other people that it's fine yeah <laughs> um but uh I was not in that place on that night and um it took a long time for me to accept that that was okay mm. and actually looking back that night probably was kind of transformative in how I treat myself and look after myself and then I did something really silly and I wrote about it yes. <laughs> and told everyone <laughs> that it happened um, and that kind of maybe in a way diffused it a bit because at first when I when I thought about writing the book I thought right this is just going to be a book about women's stories and midwifery in general it's not going to be about me because that's boring and nobody wants to hear that um, but then the more I started writing, the more I thought, no, I'm actually doing my colleagues an injustice if I don't, if I'm not mm. honest about the pressures we're all under, because I'm certainly not the only person ever to have had a night like that. And I think it's um, hardest for carers and people who see themselves as the as the person that sorts out, out the problem. I think it's often hardest for, for people like you to acknowledge when you're suffering yourself you you want to be the person that carries on solving it you're that's part of your identity somehow and it's very undermining yeah. when you have to admit you can't cope yeah absolutely because all of a sudden all those skills you know it doesn't matter if you can make up an IV pump of a really fancy you know <laughs> antibiotic it doesn't matter if you can suture somebody's perineum or catch a baby or you know guide someone through a 12-hour labor totally irrelevant if mm. you are then sat frozen on a chair in the tea room unable to even chew your dinner I mean that's yeah that's kind of where where it was so um but I mean yeah. I, I had to learn this myself and I you know I didn't have that one moment of crisis but by the time I got to have my autism diagnosis when I was 39 mm. I had been through you know decades of panic attacks anxiety dropping out of major you know things in life jobs you know, yeah. <laughs> university course. I tried to drop out of university they didn't let me damn it but um, <laughs> I, I gave it a bloody good go yeah. um, you know missing out on all sorts of experiences and what was really transformative for me was to be able to say finally after all those years I couldn't cope with what life was throwing at me yeah definitely and I think you know I'm sure if you had a friend who was feeling that way or your son was feeling that way, mm. that would be the first thing you would say. Yes. Yeah. You would be so kind to them and you'd say, right, this is too much for you. Why don't you just remove yourself from this or yeah. take a break or look at it in another way? But I think for, for some of us, and again, I don't know if it's like a woman thing or a mother thing or, or an overachiever for, thing. Or just an overachiever yeah. perfectionist <laughs> thing. Yeah. Or, or all of the above. Um, it takes a long time to to think oh right maybe I can actually be nice to myself in that way too yeah um it's really difficult and and there shouldn't be any shame attached to it but there is I think oh yeah I I think we we all kind of carry that that shame of those moments where we've not managed it but we I hope all don't you know don't believe that other people should carry it so yeah. what what did you change after that what what did you learn from that moment and what adjustments have you made to to help you to not get to the point where your head's about to explode in the future I think again it's a process and it's still unfolding I think I'm much quicker to recognize now when I'm starting to feel like that mm. um and the only thing to do is slow down and now it's not always possible in my workplace because 
if there are six women in the waiting room all needing to be seen in that moment it's not much you can do about that um but just slowing down incrementally uh is 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 very seldom a dangerous thing to do Mm. um and realizing that it's okay not to see all the women at once it's okay to ask somebody else to maybe do something for you if they have a minute um it's actually quite important to make sure you eat and drink something and go to the toilet and i know these are really daft sounding things but um it would be so easy to go through a 12-hour shift and not have a break and just try and see every single person single-handedly who comes through the door um and and also just about on days off recognizing that um you know checking in and and realizing maybe i'm not feeling great maybe i'm feeling quite anxious or Mm. you know really i should force myself to go for a walk or a run or or write something um even if it's not very good um (laughs) well there's uh, a whole other source of stress now that you're a publisher writer it's it's not casual anymore god yeah the dreaded second album here it comes (laughs) um yeah so it's just about you know having better self-awareness I think because again if that was happening to one of my children I could see it a mile off Mm. and I could see oh you know I don't think you look right in yourself and what's going on how are you feeling slow down a bit but um in myself stupidly it's taken 42 years to to learn those cues and to acknowledge them they take long time those lessons and yeah I, I I'm exactly the same as you you know if I saw somebody else ready to pop I would say uh you know are you getting enough sleep? Put yourself to bed early. Have a glass of water. You know, yeah, yeah simple ex- things. Yeah, eat something. You know, they're exactly the things that we skip when we are stressed. It's it's mm-hmm. fascinating. We all need a mother following us around and and sort of yeah, checking in. I think sometimes, or we have yeah. to be our own one of those. Unfortunately, we do. I mean, that's a whole other podcast for another day. To be honest, <laughs> about kind of. <laughs> who's been mothered and in what way and yeah. and how that affects how we look after ourselves but yeah I've had to learn a bit of that and and mm. be kind to myself in that way but I feel like for you it has led to a kind of leadership in your field not necessarily in kind of the technicalities of being a midwife but in that radical vulnerability and in being able to talk about the humanity behind that that uniform and that that role um, I guess so. I mean, I, I think I'm a bit of an unlikely person or in myself, I feel like an unlikely person to be a leader in that area. But um, I just, I've seen so many colleagues and students struggle with these very same things. Um, and we're working so hard in the NHS now and at all times that, again, not recognizing these things and sort of amplifying these concerns seems like a disservice to everybody else on my team it's mm. it's not really about me um but if i can share my experience and let the world know how hard we're all working and how sometimes it affects us then I- i'm glad i'm you know i think that's that can only be a good thing yeah it seems really important to me so finally tell me about what you're working on next in those you know few oh, minutes God. you can grab <laughs> <laughs> oh okay so this is a world debut exclusive Yay. Uh, almost Ooh. um yeah so as we were just saying before you pressed record uh when lockdown hit i was days away from selling my next big exciting non-fiction project and this was like the big one this was like jaws of my life this was um this was going to be the one that was going to make it i felt so without giving too much away because 
maybe it'll happen at some point. Um, it would have involved a lot of research and a lot of traveling and, and looking at sort of birth work around the world. Um, but the, the one trip I did manage to do as part of my research before this all happened was I went to Sweden and I watched a uterus transplant. Um, wow. And I, yeah, I was absolutely fascinating. And I was getting into this whole world of womb transplants and what they are and how they work and how women feel about them or why they might have them and, and what birth might look like in the future. And unfortunately, the, the book that that was going to be a part of, um, it looks like it, it might never happen. Um, but at the same time, when I was kind of gestating that and starting to write it up and stuff, I had an idea for a novel about two sisters, um, one of whom gives gives her uterus to the other. And wow, that's a fascinating premise. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And it, it <laughs> happens. It has happened. Um, and when I went to watch this particular transplant in Sweden in November, it was two sisters uh, on the table, as it were. Um, and I thought, wow, that is pretty cool. And also pretty messed up in a lot of ways yeah, in terms of yeah. where that could take you if it all went wrong. And if you didn't maybe psychologically manage that very well. So that started off as the premise and now it's become this this thing, <laughs> this, monster. this monster, this novel that's it's about what it means to be a sister, but also to be a mother. Um, it's about women's relationships with their bodies. Mm. It's about Scotland, strangely enough. Um, I've found myself researching all kinds of flora of Scottish islands and 11th century monasteries and all kinds of weird stuff where I never yeah. thought it would take me. Um, but it's great. I'm actually, when I'm not hating what I write, I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm loving the, the, the <laughs> process of it. That's part of the process, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so watch this space. I'm enjoying it and, and hoping to have it a bit less horrible uh, in a few months time oh well that just sounds absolutely amazing and I cannot wait to read it I hope you get some some good time to get oh, thank on you it. it's really exciting yeah. well thank you for talking to me today I am so so delighted to actually speak to you not in person because no, nothing can be in person I know I think that's the that's the gift of this time that actually we can sidle up to each other and go oh I could Skype you we don't have to <laughs> we'd have to be yeah. in the same city you know? <laughs> yeah it's great no thank you so much I know we were meant to meet in person the week oh, that this all kicked off but I this know. is this is great so yeah thank you so much for having me it's really good and um i'd just like to recommend your book yet again to the readers um hard push which i just loved the moment i read it and i'm sure loads and loads of other people will too and indeed loads and loads of people have already um and we'll look forward to your next work yeah hopefully fingers crossed <laughs> thank you so much thanks leah bye-bye And that's all for this week's show with the fabulous Leah Hazard. Check the show notes for links to her social feeds and details of her book. If you enjoyed the wintering sessions, please hit subscribe and tell your friends. It really helps to get us off the ground. I'll be back next week to interview a brilliant writer who's intimate with winter. Thanks for being here. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.